Welcome to the Feminist Coffee Hour podcast, tackling the political rumors from the feminist outer boroughs of New York City. You can find us online at feministcoffeehour.com. You can listen to us at Feminist Coffee Hour on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can find us on Twitter at femcoffeepod. You can email us at feministcoffeehour at gmail.com. And you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash feministcoffeehour. I'm Karen. And I'm Elizabeth. Welcome to our Feminist Coffee Hour 2018 holiday extravaganza. We're going to have some end of the year roundup stories for you. And we're going to talk about this year in our podcast and where we're going to go in the future with the show. We decided to do kind of a light, happy, good news episode to end the year because we want your holiday season to be merry and bright. And in the spirit of celebration, you may hear my cat purring in the background. He loves our new pop filters, so he's having the time of his life. (laughs) Yes, we got new microphones and new pop filters, so if we sound better, that's why. So let's dive in. So the first story that we have for you today is a lot of these are updates on previous episodes. So back in 2016, we did an episode uh, where we interviewed uh, Jex Blackmore of the Satanic Temple. And one of the things that we talked about was religious organizations suing under the issues of religious freedom from the left. So instead of, you know, like the cake shop court case where someone was suing for the right to discriminate, we have things like the Satanic Temple suing for the right to get an abortion. There was also a Unitarian Universalist church in Bedford, Massachusetts, that wanted to get solar panels on their roof, but was denied because... They said that it would ruin the historic character of the building and of the town. So they filed a lawsuit and they said, our religious principles call us to care for the environment. Our putting the solar panels on our building is an expression of our religious faith. So it's going against our First Amendment rights if you tell us we can't have solar panels. And they won. In August, it was announced that they won and they are allowed to put up their solar panels and keep them. So... uh Congratulations. That is a happy ending to a happy story. I hope that they uh, enjoy them in good health and in future environmental activism. So that was really cool. Also, just a brief update that Jex Blackmore has left the Satanic Temple. That's a kind of longer story that I don't have notes on right now, but she is still on Twitter. She still does a lot of activist art on Instagram. You can see her. So she's still super active, but she's no longer with the Satanic Temple, and I believe that is due to uh, sexual harassment and discrimination that she felt was pervasive in the organization. So Satanists are not any better than any other organization, apparently. Who knew? I don't think any group is immune. No, unfortunately. We had an update from Kelly Freeman, who we spoke to early in the year. She works with NARAL Pro-Choice Ohio. And we were talking about how the elections went in Ohio. And she said that they weren't great, but there's one story that she really liked, which is about Stephanie Samaro Dumas, who won the race for Hamilton County Commission. I think she said it's the, she's the first African-American woman to be elected county commissioner in Ohio. And now that county has an entirely Democratic administration. And that was a win that Kelly was very happy about and wanted us to share. I contacted some of our our guests and asked for updates. 
We're going to be talking a little bit more about the 2016 election, but that was just one small story. A bigger story, we spoke to Rebecca Lynch over the summer about the election going on in Wisconsin, and they had some big wins there. Uh, Even though Randy Bryce lost, the Democrats won for governor and lieutenant governor. And Rebecca was particularly working on the lieutenant governor race with Mandela Barnes. So that's really exciting going on there. I mean, there were a bunch of kind of surprising victories in Wisconsin beyond just what Rebecca was working on. We also got Tammy Baldwin winning. I believe she was an incumbent, but still good. Yeah, there were no guarantees this year, in the Senate especially. Yes. So really good to get the seat in the Senate for the Democrats. So Wisconsin is getting slightly more purple, slightly more blue. It's bluer. Less pink. Which is great. Yeah. (laughs) Another update. We spoke again to my husband, Adam Lee, about shitty atheist men. And there was a victory over one of those shitty atheist men. Adam, I think, spoke about this briefly. But the story is that there is a writer and speaker. His name is Richard Carrier. He was long known for uh, somewhat creepy behavior, boundary-pushing behavior. And he sued the Orbit and Free Thought blogs and several other people for writing about accusations which were public and accusations which he admitted to. He solicited uh, sex from a student. He, you know, he initiated, he was, he was flirting. He asked a student to go to bed with him after a Secular Student Alliance event, which is against the contract that he signed. And I mean... You know, I've, I've seen these, Adam has seen these. If you are a speaker with a Secular Students Alliance, you sign something saying that you're not going to use it as a dating opportunity to sleep with college students. And he did. And he admitted it. And people wrote about it. And they wrote about things that he admitted to doing. And then he sued them. These people have spent thousands of dollars trying to defend themselves. And it was thrown out of court as a frivolous lawsuit. So that's very exciting and a lot of good news. And these, I think, are our top three stories of the year. One of mine is that Elon Musk might move to Mars. He said that there's a 70% chance he's moving to Mars. 70% chance? Yes. Oh, so how I'm, did they get that percentage? That's what he said. Oh. He said there's a 70% chance I'll move to Mars. What a fantastic statistician. <laughs> so I said, uh, I'm very excited about that, about Elon Musk moving to Mars. We could throw him a going away party. <laughs> I'll link in the show notes to two videos that some more news and philosophy tube have done about him. If you don't know why Elon Musk moving to Mars would be a very good thing. It's hard for me to comment on. <laughs> I know so little about Elon Musk except for his weird Twitter presence and that he called like the rescuers of children pedophiles. Mm-hmm. And he said that Karl Marx was a capitalist. Oh yeah, of course. Male genius. I think I'm finally winning the argument with my husband over whether or not Elon Musk is a good person. (laughs) Because Adam's whole argument is that, you know, if he gets rid of the internal combustion engine, he'll save humanity from climate change. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. I can still criticize his other behavior. I disagree. Where does the electricity come from to run an electric car? It usually comes from fossil fuels. So I don't know that it is... If it came from wind and solar. If it did, but the majority doesn't at this point. So it's a step in a direction. But I think putting ending climate change on the shoulders of electric cars is giving far too much credit. So tell your husband I said that. (laughs) Okay, he he listens to the show, so. (laughs) Good. Hi, Adam. 
Hi, Adam. <laughs> My favorite story of the year is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and all the Democratic women who won all over the United States Woo! in the midterm elections. She hasn't even been inaugurated yet. She's not even officially a congresswoman, but... She's already making changes. The Progressive Caucus met with Nancy Pelosi and they made a deal and they said, if you put us on key committees, then we will vote for you for speaker. And she is moving forward with a Green New Deal and clean energy and climate change abatement. So I'm very excited about that. And I'm, I'm very happy that she was elected and that lots of Democratic women have been elected to Congress. And specifically for Ocasio-Cortez, she's like so actively engaged with her community. She's really like living a very honest and open millennial lifestyle in that she has been recording herself on Instagram, talking about policy while cooking dinner. I think she's really getting people engaged in politics who normally find politics to be far too cynical. There's a real authenticity to her that I think will be really inspiring to young people. I think if you're enjoying her Instagram and her stories about getting initiated into Congress and going through the orientation process, there's a movie that you might like. It's from the 90s. It's called The Distinguished Gentleman. It's with Eddie Murphy and Joe Don Baker and uh, a couple of other people that are in a lot of comedies. You might know their faces if you don't know their names. And it's about a man who is a con artist in Florida and him and his cousin run a bunch of schemes and they're friends. And he has the same name as a congressman that dies in like the first or second scene. And it's, it's kind of a play on words because the congressman is, is an old white guy and Eddie Murphy's a young black man. The congressman's name is Jefferson Davis Johnson and Eddie Murphy's character's name is Thomas Jefferson Johnson. So they're both Jeff Johnson. He runs for Congress using the same name and he wins and kind of, he's a con artist himself and he thinks he's going to go scam Washington. But what actually happens is he kind of gets caught up and realizes that even though he has a life of crime, what's going on in Washington doesn't compare to the, the stuff he's been able to pull in his career yet. And it's very funny. I love it. I'm always quoting it. And I actually first watched the movie in my high school senior civics class. We watched the movie in class and then we had to write an essay about whether we thought the movie represented Washington accurately or if the movie showed Washington being more or less corrupt than it act we actually thought that it was. Anything was right as long as we supported our points. So I like that movie. You should watch it. So something happening in Brooklyn. Yeah, some local news for once in New York. <laughs> on the show. One of our pod heroes, uh, Shirley Chazon, as of the time of recording, her birthday was either yesterday or the day before. And on her, what would have been her 94th birthday and the 50th anniversary of her election to the House of Representatives, New York City announced that there will now be a statue of Shirley Chisholm outside of Prospect Park or in the entrance to Prospect Park. We've talked about this before. She was the first black woman to run for president and she was the first black woman elected to the house. And her catchphrase, unbought and unbossed. Yeah, there's a book and a documentary called Shirley Chisholm, Unbought and Unbossed. And I haven't read the book, but I've seen the documentary. It's very good. Yeah. So she's also just one of these figures who has 
this passion around her and this honesty around her that I think we see a little bit in Ocasio-Cortez and this ability to really inspire people and to really be less cynical about politics or kind of this, this idealistic belief that the truth can cut through the cynicism of politics and that you can have a politician who is unbought and unbossed. Really exciting to see kind of both of these come together at the same time. So this is also part of Shirley McRae's initiative, the first lady of New York City, part of her initiative to have more female statues or statues of female historical figures in New York City. So apparently there are around 145 statues that honor male figures throughout the five boroughs and five statues that honor female historical figures. And all of them are fairly old figures. Although I'm not sure how modern the male figures are. But um, I think this was the the first statue announced of this initiative. However, I don't see a timeline. That's something I probably could have prepared. (laughs) That's okay. We'll look for it in the future and give you updates on Feminist Coffee Hour. Yeah, so check in on the progress. Our next segment, I wrote Feminist Holiday Wishlist, ideally... I would ask Santa Claus for an end to patriarchy, poverty, climate change, and white supremacy. I'm sure he's working on that. But uh, I also had some ideas if you were looking for a gift for the feminist in your life. If you wanted to make a charitable donation in honor of a friend of yours, I would always suggest the National Network of Abortion Funds, which is a charity that uh, Karen and I try to raise money for every year. And in New York City, I support the Alley Forney Center, which is a homeless shelter for LGBT youth. They put out a press release actually last week saying that they have lost some federal grants. And this is something that I didn't even think of because I think of it as a local charity, obviously, because it's in New York. But they said that there are a lot of young people who come to the Alley Forney Center who are escaping abusive family situations in other states. So as our culture continues to regress, I think, in terms of some of the progress that the LGBT community has made... uh, somewhat of a backlash going on in the age of Trump. The Ellie Forney Center is a place where people in other parts of the country can come, young people who are homeless. So that is a charity that I support and contributed to, and I hope that you would too. So I would also like to recommend donating to the National Center for Transgender Equality. So they are a, an advocacy organization that uh, works in D.C., for transgender rights, and right now is a very important time to support transgender rights and support organizations that do work for transgender rights. The Trump administration in particular has kind of really rolled back a lot of the advances that have been made, and they are really aggressive about it. They erased the guidance on how to affirm transgender federal employees, Uh, Recently, it's been in the news that they've also taken their transgender ban in the military to the Supreme Court. They fast-tracked it there because they believe that they will be able to enforce a transgender ban in the military, which they have tried and had struck down in the courts before, earlier in the administration. There also are a few issues at the VA about whether or not the VA will provide affirmative surgeries for transgender veterans. Decision has still not yet come. It's a kind of treacherous time federally for our 
trans brothers and sisters and non-binary siblings. So if we can provide some support, uh, now is a time to do so. Another recommendation I would have, just some books that might be good books to give as gifts to the feminist in your life. I read uh, Rage Becomes Her, The Power of Women's Anger by Soraya Chamali. It's actually kind of a an interesting time because I think there's three or four books that came out this year about women's anger. Yeah, there's also Eloquent Rage, A Black Feminist Discovers Her Superpower by Brittany Cooper, The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger by Rebecca Traister. They're all on my list, but that's the only one I've I've gotten to yet. That book both tackles women's anger in personal and political spaces, and I really liked it. It was really helpful to me uh, in thinking about my own anger in all levels of life, so you should read it or gift it. Another book, this one's kind of a little bit under the radar, but it's interesting for people who think about the intersection of uh, feminism and evangelical Christianity in the United States. It's called Pure Inside the Evangelical Movement That Shamed a Generation. Pure Inside the Evangelical Movement That Shamed a Generation of Young Women and How I Broke Free by Linda K. Klein. This book also talks about anger, but in a different way. Anger at purity culture. And how there's a lot of Gen X and millennial women that grew up in the kind of new evangelical pop culture and how it had a severe impact on their life and the development of their sexuality and how some of their parents even are regretting what they did because, you know, there's always been conservative Christians in the U.S., but part of the book is about the impact of a another book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which recommends that... Christian teens uh, abandon dating, even chase dating, and return to a model of courtship. And the emotional impacts of this on, on young people were a lot more negative than you would think. Uh, I thought that was, a, that was an interesting book. I enjoyed it. If that's a topic that's of interest to you, I would definitely recommend it. And what I thought was interesting is that there's a concept that both Sarai Chamali and Linda K. Klein talked about, which was epistemic injustice. So like epistemology is how you know what you know. They talk about, there's two kinds. I forget what the first one is called, but the first one is just not believing somebody. So I don't believe you because you're a woman. I don't believe you because you're a black woman. I, I'm just going back to um, our last episode about the book Invisible and how uh, Eunice Carter was the, the prosecutor that brought down Lucky Luciano and all Stephen Carter's daughter, Leah, pointed out that the main witnesses against him were sex workers. And when... Uh, kind of injustice would be not believing these people because of who they are. This is like deep philosophy, which is something I'm kind of getting into lately. But they said uh, hermeneutical injustice. Hope I'm saying that right. Hermeneutical. Hermeneutical injustice, which is the idea of an injustice done to someone when you don't give them the cognitive tools to learn something that they should know. So to me, the thing that always pops into my head is like a sex ed class that has a diagram of you know, female human body that doesn't have a clitoris on it. Is that or a thing? Or it's not pointed out. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What? I went back and I looked and like half of my health class ones did and half of them didn't. I looked back at the one I got as a like 12 and there was an arrow pointing to it and it said clitoris. But then in the glossary, it wasn't in the definition. It was just listed once like an arrow pointing to it. Just completely ignoring it. I think Natalie Angier talked about the idea of a um, mental clitorectomy, just ignoring that that body part exists. That's amazing. Yeah. So that's the thing that popped up for me. But uh, Sarai Chamali and Linda K. K. Klein talk about different instances of when society can kind of collude either through religious or other means to keep information, important information away from women. And what that does to the way that you tell your own story and what that does to how you move in the world 
and how that omitting information uh, from a person can be a form of injustice. I thought that was an interesting idea that both authors talked about. That is fascinating. I've been really meaning to read those books. It's my final time, so I've been unable to do as much reading as I'd like, but because I have a long commute, my downtime is spent listening to Becoming by Michelle Obama, as read by Michelle Obama, as my relaxation. Would you recommend it? I highly recommend it. I've heard her interview on Two Dope Queens about it, and she does a little bit of a political dance around her high road comments that make me a little bit cynical about her book and her narrative, but she's a politician, so I I can't imagine not expecting that. But the book is amazing. We can still love her even if she's neoliberal, it's okay. I absolutely love her regardless of her neoliberal status. We've talked about this so much that there are so many ways to be a feminist and we're really big tent feminists. So neoliberal feminism is an option to people. And I think that if we were in a truly gender equal society, neoliberal women would be as successful as neoliberal men. Let's uh, back off this distinction, but to our leftist listeners who are opposed to neoliberalism, maybe you could put your earmuffs on. The book is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) The book is great. It's inspirational. It's lovely. There's definitely a lot of kind of respectability politics in it. And I think for, for white readers, who haven't thought too much about how much the Obama's race played into their lives and their status as public figures, I think it will be eye-opening. So I think it'll be something that definitely informs a lot of Americans about that. And I think that's fantastic. And she does it with this loveliness uh, and real likability. And her writing is fantastic and the pacing is great. So I give it a high recommendation. The other book I'd recommend is Song of a Captive Bird by Jasmine Darznick. And it's about a famous Persian poet who died unexpectedly. And it's about her life growing up in Iran at around the time of the revolution. I loved it. I don't read a lot of fiction. This technically was kind of historical fiction because it was based on true events, but it was a fictionalization. I mean, there were imaginings of scenes that weren't necessarily recorded, but it was a really great book if you want to kind of read about someone from a different time and place if you're not Persian. And then finally, just a rundown, books featured on the podcast this year, in case you need a reminder. The Merry Spinster by Daniel Mallory Ortberg, Troll Nation by Amanda Marcotte, The Gender Effect by Catherine Muller, Meta by Adam Lee and Andrew Murtaugh, and Invisible by Professor Stephen Carter. Um, If any of those sound interesting to you, you can go back and listen to the episodes and uh, check out the books. And then finally, two quick things if you want to pamper yourself. Surly Amy, Amy Davis Roth, makes uh, art you can wear. I'm not getting paid for this or anything. This is just like if someone asked me for gift ideas for a feminist and they didn't want to donate to charity or buy a book. She makes a lot of really cool art with feminist slogans and secular slogans and science and math, like really cool stuff. Surly Amy on Etsy. And then just uh, supporting a local black woman owned business. There's a business called Brooklyn Flavors. And they make skincare and candles. You can buy candles that have all different kinds of scents, and they're named after different Brooklyn neighborhoods. And there's also lotions and lip balms, stuff like that. So 
I like that company. I've shopped there. I'd recommend it. So I would also recommend products by Two Photon Art, which is a project of Christine Liu, who is a neuroscience PhD student and makes science-related enamels and stickers and necklaces. So you can find phages, you can find rainbow enamels, you can find neuron stick pins, necklaces that say scientists. I personally have purchased an enamel that says science is political. And there's also zines there. Just some really cute stuff for a really affordable price. And very often they involve a charitable giving in the stores profit sharing. So I highly recommend them. It's cool stuff. And they're supporting scientists like me. <laughs> Specifically women of color in STEM, which I think is fantastic. And then in personal updates, just to tell you where we're at right now. So I'm still in school as I will be for the next million years. And this semester, I know we talked a little bit last year about some of the papers that I was writing and the things that I've learned. And now I'm learning through kind of some independent research for some class projects so much about the history of the classification of mental disorders that are kind of what we might now consider within the, the normal span of human sexuality, uh, normal variations. So the history of classification of homosexuality in the DSM, the way that trans identities have been and currently are identified in the DSM. And it's really interesting because I've heard lots of talk about certain kinds of diagnostics like autogynephilia. And I was really curious about where that was in the DSM and how that kind of played into the DSM. And it's interesting because there are two different diagnoses that you could get if you're a trans person. Uh, you could either get gender dysphoria, for which the recommendation is affirmative treatment. But depending on your clinician, you might end up with transvestic disorder, which I would imagine tends to mean people who compulsively masturbate while dressing in women's clothing. And that was the, the intention of it. But it could be applied to anyone who has ever been aroused in women's clothing and then felt weird about it. <laughs> so depending on your clinician, you might end up with either diagnosis. And transvestic disorder is where autogynephilia comes in. It is not part of gender dysphoria, which is how we classify people who have trans identities. But what I found was really interesting about that it was the idea that the paraphilias exist at all in the DSM. And so do you want to know what a paraphilia is in the DSM? Isn't a paraphilia when you're aroused by something that's not a human body? No, you can be aroused by a human body part and still have a paraphilic disorder. Oh, that, that's not a <laughs> primary or secondary sexual characteristic. So the term paraphilia denotes any intense and persistent sexual interest other than sexual interest in genital stimulation or preparatory fondling. So wait, so if you like to light candles and have mood music, do you have a paraphilia? So you might have a paraphilia, yeah. And so one thing that was changed <laughs> in DSM-5 is not to call paraphilias themselves mental disorders. A paraphilic disorder requires that you feel bad about it afterwards. <laughs> Two things. One is, I think Dan Savage said something like, 
90% of men and like a third or a quarter of women have a paraphilia. And then on top of that, I think the people that were interviewed in that pure book would have something to say about feeling bad about your sexuality. Yeah, I think they might. One thing that I found really interesting, another thing that I found really interesting, because these are all so, so, so interesting, is that fetishistic disorder also is highly specific focus on non-genital body parts. So if a man got off on looking at some boobs and then felt weird about it, they might end up with fetishistic disorder depending, again, on their clinician because it's really the diagnostic criteria are just not clear enough. So if it's happened for a period of at least six months... So like Magic Mike would be considered... Potentially. (laughs) So obviously we hope that clinicians are not using criteria in this way. But when you think about these kind of very religiously informed groups, there might be a therapist who's reading this or a psychologist or a psychiatrist who's reading this who really pathologizes normative sexual variants and would give somebody one of these disorders, uh, which is terribly concerning because these disorders often are used to civilly commit people So having one of these disorders or being diagnosed with one of these disorders can have an impact on a person's freedom in the United States. And so I'm really interested in all this and I'm really looking forward to learning more. Any updates from you, Elizabeth? Just enjoying life. My son's two years old, so that's exciting. Adam's working on his book. We're working on the podcast. We have some podcast updates coming up, but if you follow us on Twitter, so that we went to a podcasting conference and we met a lot of cool women that are working on their shows and we got some tips for how to make this show better. So that's very exciting. So we have, we're going to say feminist New Year's resolutions, but most of this stuff is about just the show. So we're really excited because this is the 12th episode that we made this year. So this is the first time we've done 12 in a calendar year. So yay! yay. You're welcome. Happy, <laughs> happy holidays to us. We're going to give you more episodes of Feminist Coffee Hour including I have an interview booked with someone from a nonprofit called Women Strong that works with girls and women around the world. Another episode we're working on is that we'd like to bring you a show with a person who works as a geneticist. I'm just going to tease that. I'm not going to give you any more. So hopefully it will come through. We made a bad mistake in recording an interview (laughs) and then it was not recorded. It got scrapped. (laughs) Um, so we have to do that again, but that should be really good. Uh, and we met some people from some really cool organizations at the conference that work with women in politics and other women who work with NGOs around the world working on feminist causes. So we have a lot planned for you for 2019. We hope that you're looking forward to it. And so we also wanted to say that we are expecting to expand our Patreon levels to provide new ways to support us. They are up there. If you go to our Patreon page right now, you can support us as you always have. But we added new levels in case you want to be more generous. We still have the $1 a month level and that $1 an episode level, and that's perfectly fine. What I'm going to do starting in 2019 is that even if you're just at the $1 an episode level, Not only do you get the episodes a week early, I'm going to start putting out a newsletter with links and long read recommendations, if that's something that you're interested in at that level. 
at the $5 an episode level, you get the early access, the newsletter, a personal thank you note. Um, if you have a question for us, we'll answer it on the podcast. At the $10 level, all previous rewards plus a Feminist Coffee Hour sticker with our new logo, which is something we didn't mention, but we hope you like the new logo. And at the $20 level, all previous rewards plus a Feminist Coffee Hour t-shirt. We hope that you will support the show and become a patron. What we're going to do with your money is we pay for web hosting. We pay an editor to help make the show sound good. We have equipment, we have new microphones, and eventually, if we have enough support on Patreon, we want to do both a major website overhaul and redesign, and we want to start to provide you transcripts of our episodes. And the uh, transcription service costs money, which we'd like your support to do. That's where we are right now with our Patreon. Some other stuff that we're doing with the show is that on Reddit, which is uh, how Karen and I met, and where we still have a lot of friends on the left Reddit and feminist Reddit communities, I'm going to be moderating the subreddit. So reddit.com, our feminist coffee hour, and you can check it out and I'll post our episodes. I'll post links to things that we discuss on the show and you can talk to other people who listen to the show and hopefully we can get some interesting discussions going there as well. We're also going to try and be more active on Twitter.com. We have a Twitter account that we announce at the beginning of every episode, but you may have noticed we don't tweet that often. So one of our New Year's resolutions is to be more engaged on social media. Uh, And if you'd like to help us in this, please tweet at us. We are thrilled when listeners engage. We've asked you to follow us on Twitter, and many of you have. We think about half of our subscribers follow us on Twitter. But we'd love to hear more from you. So if you're listening to this episode, tweet at us either what your favorite story of the year was or what's on your holiday wish list or what's your feminist New Year's resolution, and uh, we'll talk about it later. Or if you have ideas for the show, what you'd like to hear us talk about or who you'd like to hear us talk to. Yeah, if there's somebody you know who's doing great work and not getting the attention they deserve, We would love to talk to them, especially as it relates to feminism, and especially if they are female or non-binary. And the other thing that we uh, would like to talk to you about is that we've met some really interesting creators of other shows, and we're going to be doing some promo swaps. So in exchange for them running very brief promos at the beginning or end of their shows, we're going to be running some very brief promos at the beginning or ending of our shows of shows that we think that you'll like as our listeners, other shows by interesting women doing cool things. And they're definitely shows we have listened to and also like. And also, if you are a listener and you'd like to promote us as well, if you think that there are people who would benefit from listening or people who would enjoy listening, please tell your friends about us. Yes, and give us a review on iTunes. Absolutely. So I think that wraps up our our holiday extravaganza episode. So extravagant. (laughs) we wish you all the best uh, through the holiday season and in 2019 and we'll be talking to you soon see you next year you've been listening to the feminist coffee hour podcast tackling political rumors from the feminist outer boroughs of new york city if you like our podcast please support us at our patreon which you can find at www.patreon.com slash feminist coffee hour or you know do a google for patreon and feminist coffee hour Our patrons get early releases of episodes, plus other cool perks at higher levels. 
If you can't support us financially, you can always give us a five-star rating on iTunes and write us a review as it helps the algorithm know we're there and that people like us, like you. Our intro and outro music is Making It Hard by Bridget Ellsworth, and you can find her music on SoundCloud.